Trying to organize and categorize participations in the Eurovision Song Contest is usually pretty simple, but when you encounter a country like Yugoslavia, which underwent a massive political change which ended up altering the very essence of the country, where do you draw the line? On this week's episode of ESC 101, we are turning the pages of the Eurovision yearbook to look back at Yugoslavia's last, but technically not last, entrant in 1991, Baby Doll. This is ESC 101. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to ESC 101, your home of Eurovision history and obscurity. This is the podcast where we take a look at the Eurovision Song Contest throughout the years to uncover the story behind the world's largest international televised music competition. Welcome to episode 27. My name is Alexander. There is debate over defining Yugoslavia at Eurovision in the 1990s, especially considering the political events that occurred during that period. Some say that Baby Doll was Yugoslavia's last entrant, with Yugoslavia's 1992 entry being grouped together with Serbia and Montenegro, which on a map does look identical. While I plan on making a larger argument for Yugoslavia's definition in a future Eurovision travel guide episode for Yugoslavia, I'm going to go ahead and establish an argument here and say that Yugoslavia's last entry for Eurovision is their 1992 entry, and my reasoning for that argument lies in the timeline of events during Yugoslavia's breakup, based on their national selection for 1992 occurring when the country was still referred to as the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, which was the Yugoslavia which had participated in Eurovision up until 1992. So for our purposes, Baby Doll is not the last Yugoslav entrant, however she is the last fully united Yugoslav entrant. With that distinction being made, let's dive right into the story of Dragana Todorovic, also known as Baby Doll. Dragana Tavorovic, known as Dragana Jaric, was born on October 2, 1962 in Belgrade, Serbia, under the Federal People's Republic of Yugoslavia. Daughter of Milislav, a military jazz musician, and Magdalena, an employee of Television Belgrade, her family moved just three months after her birth to Copenhagen in Denmark, and later across various European locations due to her father's job of performing in American military bases. In an interview done in 2002, Dragana recalls her childhood with her parents and how, despite going from base to base in Europe, her father favored Denmark because he made the most money there. Apparently, Dragana is a self-professed heavy sleeper because she had to learn how to sleep through her father's practicing of the saxophone and flute. It was with her father that she began to gain an interest in music. With her father's playing of jazz music, she took an interest in playing the piano, and she spent her allowance money on music records. She enjoyed music from all walks of life, and she continued to develop her own taste in music as she practically begged her mother to take her to record stores. She also took an interest in buying sheet music so she could learn more about the fundamentals in music. Her family continued to travel across Europe until Dragana turned seven. Having spent most of her childhood with her parents upon returning to Serbia, she was enrolled in school and was saddened to spend less time with her parents. She had a difficult time adjusting to life at school, but she admits that it was partially her fault for acting out from time to time. 
After completing elementary school, Dragana enrolled in a music school and later a grammar school, studying simultaneously at both schools. She preferred the music school as the age difference in some of the schooling wasn't the most enjoyable experience for her, but she ended up starting her music career while at school. One of her friends was a piano player at the school and invited Dragana to sing in her band. It was a tough sell for Dragana, but she eventually agreed and joined up with the band named Tarkus. She agreed to sing, but she was initially shy. Despite her reservation, the band ended up entering into a competition and won. The prize was the opportunity for the band to professionally record at Radio Belgrade's studio. In 1979, she was approached to sing backing vocals for the band U Grupa on one of their albums, and in 1980, she was credited as a guest vocalist for another band called Igra Stalinich Perli. But it was in 1981 where Dragana would officially launch her solo career. Aside from forming a short-lived band named Ananda Rouge, she collaborated with an old-school friend to record her first solo track called Mustafa back in 1979, and two years later it was released to the public and it was an immediate success. It was Jewelbox Magazine's Record of the Year. Jukebox Magazine was the first rock music magazine to be published in a communist country. Here's a sample of Baby Doll's first solo track. That was musically interesting. Not something I would put on repeat, but this is Yugoslavia in the 1980s, so I don't think I'm really qualified to give an opinion on the track as a whole. Vocally, it has interesting directions, and the sound as a whole is quite out there. Almost maybe experimental rock? Honestly, I have no idea what I'm talking about. The point is, is that Dragana found immediate success, and it was with this track that she was given her stage name, Baby Doll, given to her by members of the band Idoli. The origin story of her name is really fascinating. Apparently, her sense of fashion was quite outlandish compared to her peers. She apparently had bright red hair, wore pink stockings and golden sandals to school, and she wore bronzer to make herself look more tanned. When she was going to a music gig at a TV studio, the band, who was at the same studio, saw her and gave her the name Baby Doll on account of her standout fashion sense, and thus she took on the name with pride. After her single, she decided to keep going with the music career and worked on her debut album, Rouge i Kruv, Roses and Blood, which ended up releasing in 1983. With her music career growing, Dragana found herself gaining the attention of Radio Television Belgrade and was invited to submit an entry to compete at the national final for Eurovision to represent Yugoslavia in 1983. She submitted the song Rudy, but she ultimately finished sixth. Here's a sample of her submission.
This song sounds very 1980s, and considering it was 1983, that shouldn't surprise anyone. Overall, it's a decent-sounding track, but it doesn't personally wow me. Considering that Yugoslavia ended up sending Daniel with the song Julie, they ended up making the right decision. Oddly enough, Dragana's entry feels like a paired-back version of Daniel's song, as both songs have clapping, a similar beat, and a repetitive title line in the lyrics. She placed sixth in the national final, and she had to walk away from Eurovision to return to her music career. She ended up touring for about three months, doing two concerts a day, traveling around Yugoslavia. Her career took a dramatic turn geographically as she ended up moving to Egypt. After the three months of touring and a severe delay in her debut studio album releasing, she decided to take a break. She had relatives who lived in Egypt and thought it would be a nice vacation for a few months. However, that dramatic turn was about to happen. She visited a jazz club bar where patrons heard Dragana sing along to one of the songs. Apparently, it impressed them so much she was practically pushed onto the stage, and they ended up playing a song that she loved, bringing her back to her childhood days of her father playing the saxophone. After her impromptu performance, a stranger approached her wanting to know who she was. Apparently, the stranger didn't buy her I'm-just-a-tourist excuse, as her talent was as clear as day. He asked for her card, and he ended up leaving her some contact information for an Italian agent based in the Middle East named Gigi Coppo, who would later become her agent. After extending her stay by an extra week, Dragana decided to call the agent and learn that the stranger was a well-connected music star in the Middle East. She meets with the agent and goes to the Sheridan Hotel for an audition. In the middle of her second song, the auditioner interrupts her and asks her when she could start. She was immediately hired to perform at the hotel for three and a half months, but she ended up loving the job so much that she continued to renew her contract for four years. However, near the end of those four years, she came to a realization that her life had become too comfortable and casual, and so she resolved herself to give up her life as a hotel singer and moved back to Yugoslavia. Upon returning to Yugoslavia, Dragana was determined to get back onto the music scene, and she looked back at her submission to the National Final for Eurovision in 1983 and decided to give it a second try. This time, she entered the national final to represent Yugoslavia at the 1987 Eurovision Song Contest. She entered with the song Giorno Nejosti. Here is a sample of that entry. Another very 1980s sounding track. Again, stating the obvious, her voice sounds lovely. And again, I'm not a great judge of most 1980s music, so I'll let you draw your own conclusion. She ended up placing fourth, which is an improvement from her first attempt in 1983, but apparently she was determined to win and she came back the following year and tried once again. Dragana ended up entering into the national final to represent Yugoslavia at the 1988 Eurovision Song Contest with the song Zatvori Mama Prozore. Here is a sample of that entry. Govore da ne sluša 
This entry is more enjoyable than her other two attempts. It's more lively, and her voice continues to sound amazing. I place this song on the top of the list of her current three Eurovision National Final entries. She keeps improving, and this entry places third in the National Final. Only two more National Finals until she wins, except she doesn't enter in 1989 or 1990. When she wasn't entering Eurovision National Finals for Yugoslavia, Dragano was dabbling in theater, playing Ophelia in a production of Hamlet at the Titograd National Theater, as well as performing at the Gold Malaysian Festival in Kuala Lumpur in 1989. She continued to produce music throughout the 1980s and made a name for herself in Yugoslavia and music circles around the world. Then the 1990s came around, and with it, Eurovision success and political instability. What a winning combination. Dragana decides to enter the Eurovision National Final for Yugoslavia for a fourth time to represent them at the 1991 contest in Rome. She enters with the song, Brazil. Apparently, there is a little backstory to this song. From Dragana's perspective, the Croatians were very successful at Eurovision when representing Yugoslavia, and considering a Croatian band won in 1989, that shouldn't surprise anyone. However, that feeling was a bit more tense in the political sense. Many people at the time felt that because of Croatia's success, the Serbians would have to work double to ensure one of their own would win, especially given the high tensions between the Serbian and Croatian presidents at the time. Allegedly, the Serbian president exerted influence over the broadcasters in Montenegro, Vojvodna, and Kosovo, and were pressured to vote similarly to Serbia's broadcaster. The winning song gained points from the aforementioned broadcasters as well as Serbia, while gaining no points from the Bosnian, Slovenian, Macedonian, and Croatian broadcasters. Meanwhile, the favorite Croatian entry received no points from Serbia or Kosovo. Some people may call shenanigans with these results, and considering broadcasters could vote for entries originating in their own countries, something was definitely politically amiss. When looking at the detailed results, Serbia and Kosovo gave their top points to Brazil, while Vojvodna gave two of their three top points to Brazil, securing their win. I haven't listened to all of the entries, but Brazil ended up winning by just two points compared to second place entrant Daniel, the same Daniel that represented Yugoslavia in 1983. Baby Doll lost to Daniel in 1983, and in 1991, she gets her revenge and defeats him, winning the chance to represent Yugoslavia at Eurovision. Here is a sample of Brazil. I am absolutely obsessed with this song. I know that a lot of people don't like anything about this entry, but for me, this is a guilty pleasure minus the guilt. It is utter Eurovision perfection. Perfectly camp perfectly Latin, and everything about this performance is just pure magic. From the hideous-looking backing dancers to the purple breakdancing dude on the side to Baby Doll's absolutely mind-boggling blue outfit. 
it's so bad, but this outfit isn't even the worst one in 1991. There are worse ones out there. When reading the translated lyrics on the Diggly Thrush website, the song tells the tale of a spicy encounter with a mysterious lover. It speaks of the passion that Latin culture often portrays, especially in telenovelas. Brazil, Spain, Colombia, Cuba, and America, all the heart of Spanish and Portuguese passion. Remember that Brazil is a Portuguese-speaking country. Lyrics are very direct, saying, quote, Take it all off. Take your shoes off now. Take your jacket and pants off. Come on. The game is starting now. For your lips and my neck, your kiss will be the sign. For Rambo, Dino, what, what, what? I make a new dance. Brazil. One, turn around, that's two. Say hip and that's three. Your heart is us. Brazil. I don't need Brazil. The sweet life cha-cha-cha. Only you and me with you. My goodness, that is a very spicy affair. However, Europe was not feeling the spice, as it only gained a single point from Malta. Thank you, Malta, for saving this from a null point, because Europe was clearly too distracted with Corolla, which I don't necessarily blame them for. However, this entry is absolute perfection. I love it. I listen to it on repeat, and it is such a hot mess. Emphasis on both the hot and the mess. You honestly need to see this performance to truly understand what I'm talking about, and then you'll agree with me and bop along with this guilty pleasure of a song. Oddly enough, this song was a hit across Europe, but simply didn't gain the attention of the juries at the contest. Dragana would tour across multiple television stations across Europe promoting the song, but her last place finish at Eurovision meant she would move on with her life. Before she moved on, she recorded an English version of the song Control, and she toured around the world, including Brazil and India. After her single-point performance, Baby Doll never returned to the Eurovision stage. She moved to Paris, where she signed a two-year recording contract. However, if you remember your Eurovision history, Yugoslavia undergoes a political breakup, and after a year and a half in Paris, she chose to go home after her telephone connection to Belgrade was severed due to damage from the war. Before she left, she was propositioned by her agent to get married in order to solve administrative issues, but naturally standing up for herself, she flat out said no and went back to Belgrade. Despite the war, she continued to make music and released her second studio album in 1995. Her work in music continued to reach international audiences, performing at a UNICEF charity concert in Finland in 1999, as well as releasing a comeback album in 2002 dedicated to all of the people that she lost in her life. She was drawn into a music festival called Beovizia, placing 10th. Alongside music, she also entered into television work, hosting her own talk show called Blah Blah Bebe, and throughout the 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s, she continued to make appearances in television shows, small movies, and other music projects where she continues working to this day. In 2014, she married Alex Todorovich after four years of dating, and as far as I know, she doesn't have any children. And that is the story of Baby Doll. I'm continued to be amazed at how Eurovision entrants have such diverse lives, finding themselves in unique situations, and I'm glad that Dragana tried multiple times to enter Eurovision, because that ultimately brought her onto the Eurovision stage in 1991. The juries of 1991 may not have liked her song, but I certainly did, and I hope you do too. Let me know which of her national final entries was your favorite by voting in this week's Spotify poll. Before we close the episode, it's time for Song of the Week. This is the part of the show where I share a Eurovision entry that I find entertaining. Maybe I'm obsessing over it, or perhaps I think it should go straight into the dustbin of history. Or perhaps it's just simply intriguing. Let's find out which entry gets Song of the Week.
This week's song of the week is the 1996 Austrian entry, Wer ist apologies for my German, Because You Feel Good, sung by George Nussbaumer, composer and lyricist Misha Krauses and George Nussbaumer, conductor Michael Krauses. The entry placed 10th, gaining 68 points. It got 12 points from France and Malta, 8 points from Ireland and Poland, 7 points from Estonia, and points from 6 other countries. This song is fascinating, as it sounds exactly like a gospel tune from the southern United States, but in Vorlarolbuglisch, that is not how you pronounce it. I apologize to German-speaking people, but as a dialect of German. Seriously, this song could be played in a Southern Baptist church in rural Texas, and everyone in the congregation would be clapping along despite not knowing a single word George is singing about. The song is a pep talk in the form of a lively gospel music hymn. No religious undertones in the lyrics, but it is a do-whatever-you-want kind of pep talk. Believing in yourself and your abilities, inviting the listener to sing and dance their way through the self-doubt into the arms of self-esteem. This entry gets Song of the Week because of its infectious beat and its fantastic interpretation of Southern gospel music with a German. German twist. Austria brings the life of the party and does so in honor of all disappointed Germans who were snubbed from the contest that year. I'm sure that Leon would be dancing along to this week's Song of the Week. I am amazed at the backstory of Baby Doll, and I'm happy to see such a positive influence from her family in helping her gain an interest in music. I wonder what her life would be like if she'd stayed as an instrument player rather than a singer. But then again, we wouldn't have the perfection that is Brazil in our Eurovision yearbook series, so I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to get in touch with your thoughts or comments, you can reach out to our Instagram page at ESC101podcast. You can also send us an email, esc101podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you already haven't done so, please consider leaving a review as it helps make the podcast more visible to Eurovision fans like yourself. Next week, we are exploring a Eurovision venue, so be sure to stay tuned to find out which venue we'll be covering next. You have been listening to ESC 101. See you next time.